0: good evening you are listening to three moves ahead and i am not your host rob Zackney. i am rowan kaiser filling in for rob who is dealing with some issues um, we wish him all the best with that but uh we got to talk about total warhammer too. so here we are our guests today include uh friend of the show freelance writer and editor and proprietor of the Sworn order is that all right tj that's
1: that's fairly accurate i, I am the editor yeah
0: Co-proprietor, yeah. Right.
2: Co-proprietor.
0: And we'd also like to welcome back Kotaku's cosplay editor, Luke Punkett.
2: Hey everybody, nice to be back.
0: And uh, like I said, today we're talking about Total War Warhammer 2, the uh, much-anticipated sequel to Creative Assembly's Return to Form from last year. This one takes place in the new world compared to the old world of total warhammer one and uh we got a lot more elves this time around uh tj do you want to talk a little bit about what's all yeah. different about this one
1: yeah um so I, I think we're gonna basically talk about the the vortex campaign first and then move into mortal empires
0: basically right mortal empires <laughs> is the uh grand campaign with, that combines both the total warhammer one and two maps right uh, and we'll get to that later.
1: Yeah, so so as far as the base game Total War uh Warhammer 2 is uh so they added the High Elves and the Dark Elves, who despite both being elves, are pro- probably play about as differently as any two factions in the game, um, to be to be honest. And then the Skaven, who are the underground rat men, they, they introduced like a campaign stealth mechanic, which is something we haven't really seen before, where their their armies can hide and even their cities are they show up as ruins. So it's kind of uh it's kind of like the the pick the ball out from under the right cup carnival game when you're trying to, to figure out where the Skaven are. And the lizard men, who are actually the ones I've spent the most time with, which are uh their their two big things are magic and dinosaurs. What's not to love. So, yeah, it's 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 cool. It's the when I, I talked about it in my review, what I really liked about the Vortex campaign is that I think that Total War in general, just because of their campaign template, I think it works better when they do kind of a focused story driven campaign, which the Vortex very much is like it has story milestones. It has things that happen a certain way when you hit those milestones. It has cutscenes. There's kind of a, a plot twist involved that doesn't affect how the campaign plays out too much. But it's still like, oh, OK, they, you know, they put some thought into this. And um, generally, I know it's it's gotten some criticism from from certain people in the Total War community. But generally, I really liked the pacing of it in terms of how it applies pressure based on, you know, your progress through... These rituals basically have to complete a set of these five rituals um, to get to the final battle, more or less. And every time you complete one, you have to go from expansion mode to defense mode because these giant armies spawn that are going to come attack the core of your empire. And I felt that that is about as good a job as Creative Assembly has ever done of solving the problem of you know, the player snowballing and getting to a point where your empire is so powerful that um, there's no real challenge anymore. Granted, the way they applied that to mortal empires, I think, was a misstep, but we'll definitely get into that later.
0: Uh, Luke, what did you find most interesting about the differences between Total Warhammer 1 and 2?
2: I, you kind of briefly touched on it then, but I, the biggest thing that I took away from it that I, that I really liked out of, uh, two's campaign was the way that Creative Assembly seemed to really embrace the fact that this is a single player game. Yeah, You know, most most Total War games previously, it's they set you up, they give you a cutscene or a setting and then just sort of take the reins off and just let you go at it however you like. And that's fine. And a lot of people like that. But um, it's obviously had a lot of flaws as well, particularly when it comes to the end game with, with most Total War games. Um, what I've loved about this is just the fact that they really embrace that sort of scripting, um, really hands-on style of single-player campaign where they not only interrupt those rituals with shifting you between you know, an expansion and a defensive mode every, I don't know how many turns it is, every lots of turns, but they seem to really also be doing that single player thing where they want to force you to play different styles of game all in the one campaign. Mm -hmm. So I I played my review campaign as the High Elves and I found that doing that, um, by the time of the second or third ritual, I was having to continually make these sort of really bold, um, long overseas trips sort of traveling over the, the game's big oceans, which were, were really risky, but um, it's something I wouldn't have done in a regular expansion game. I would have just sort of picked the nearest coastline and just ground my way across the next continent or something like that. Um, for here, having to do those sort of um, precision sort of strike raids and really throw my existing tactics out the window and, and try something else um, really felt sort of fresh and, and, like you said, it helped with the pacing as well. That instead of the game starting to feel like this slow, relentless grind as you just slowly take region by region, um, it really made me feel like, okay, I'm having to do something else here. I'm having to do something interesting all the time. And this campaign is actually having a lot of highs and lows and ebbs and flows throughout it. Sort of five turns, 20 turns, 50 turns, 75 turns in instead of everything just sort of being more, yeah, a bit more mundane and slow. Yeah, I didn't even touch
1: on that, is that while you're trying to complete your own rituals, you also have to make sure that the other three main factions don't complete theirs, which was really interesting because I'd have, you know, usually in a Total War game, I have like maybe one or two, I I guess you could call them army clusters, like of two to three stacks that are just present in whatever fronts you're pushing on at that particular moment. Whereas in the Vortex campaign, you have to also maintain these kind of like expeditionary forces whose job it is to like is to be way far away from your core area, shutting down, you know, rituals from other factions if they get too far ahead of you, which was also kind of an interesting way to make you divide up your resources.
0: Uh, it's probably also worth talking about how other can other factions can get ahead of you in the campaign, uh, they're each campaign or each faction has i don't know why i'm mixing those two words up they're not very similar um each faction has a specific resource that they use to do the next part of the ritual and at the top of the screen you have a little meter that tells you uh how much how far along on each ritual path how many of the resources each of the four factions has and uh there are individual cities that sort of have uh, specific mines that you can pull out the uh, warp stone or whatever it happens to be for your particular choice. Um, there, are, You also get them from most quests. And there's a new mechanic where you can go treasure hunting in ruined cities. Then that will occasionally get you a nice big pile of whatever you're trying to... Uh, whatever you're trying to collect um so you can see this race going on you can also disrupt enemy rituals as they're going on this is this is something that's fairly clearly seen on the screen on the map which shows these tendrils of color heading to the the vortex in the middle of the high elf map or high elf island part of the map um and so there's like a, an actual indicator on the map beyond simply a, an abstract thing about
2: what's going on and where which is really it's really stressful. <laughs> I found that <laughs> continuously in a in a in a good way. I found that a continuous like oh my god I've I'm I'm playing as this faction that has this giant swirling vortex over my lands as it is, but now I'm just seeing all these lancing colors coming in and and that's showing me exactly where these these AI Um, factions are are challenging me and i can see above that on the because as you progress i'll just explain this for people as you progress through you have to perform these the five rituals but as you progress along yours you're given markers sort of like a civilization power score you're given markers showing the your rival factions progress along that as well so if you're playing a game and it's um you're very close to a rival faction, or you're only just ahead of them, or they're only just ahead of you, you're not only constantly presented with this um, user interface display sort of showing you that, but you get a literal representation on the map showing, hey, these guys that are just ahead of you are working on something that's going to get them even further ahead of you. And it doesn't matter what you're doing now, every time you click turn, or every time you just move the mouse over your home region, you're getting this really stark visual representation of the fact that they may be just about to kick your ass. Right
1: and then there's there are like the there are certain settlements you can capture that give you like a permanent ticking per turn um of of like the ritual currency but they generally they tend to be pretty far away from any of the starting areas which is it creates an, kind of an interesting push and pull and where the 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 armies that spawn when you are you about to complete a ritual step kind of encourage you to turtle a little bit um because they'll go after it's usually like your capital and then like two other important places close to your capital at least for the factions that i played Um, but yeah then there's these like far-flung ritual currency sites and if you can hold them it takes a little bit of the pressure off because you're gaining that currency every turn um but then you know the the opposite tactic is to like just not go for those at all and just have some utility armies going out searching ruins and shipwrecks and if you're successful in that you might not even ever need to take one of these settlements so yeah it's it's i think it's probably the most well designed of of the total war campaigns that i've played for all the reasons we've discussed so far um and i i'd like to see more campaigns in the in this vein even though at the same time it's it's not as replayable um you know like as as like the old world campaign or as mortal empires that we're going to talk about later like i feel like once once you've beaten the vortex with like maybe one or two factions you're probably not going to go back to it which is uh which is an interesting like design trade-off like do does creative assembly want to create these focused single-player experiences that are fun to do maybe a couple times, then you'll come back to it a year later, or, you know, the traditional Total War campaign, which you're supposed to be able to play, you know, infinitely as any number of different factions that, that are included in it.
0: Um, so you liked the uh, treasure hunting mechanic?
1: Well, I thought I thought it was an interesting it was interesting that you could do it that way. Like you could complete the ritual by having like a boat sailing around collecting shipwrecks as opposed to the conquest style where you go and you seize as many currency generating sites as you can. I found it interesting that, that those were both viable paths in terms of like the actual, narrative implementation of the like the ruins and the shipwrecks and stuff it does get a little bit old after a while like it, it kind of does start to feel like i'm just going to sail here and click a button and either get goodies or a penalty
2: yeah, it almost feels like they're they're filler i don't mean that in, a, in an entirely derogatory way but one of the things i really like about this game is the size of the oceans is that when yeah. you in a lot of total war games the water is really just a very sort of short bridge in a lot of ways between land masses. The distance between the continents in Total War II is immense. And so when you when you take an army, and this is sort of ties into what I was saying earlier about going on an expeditions and, and how risky and, and fun that is. When I was sending out expeditionary forces as the elves to, I don't know, attack the, the lizard men, um, it would take so long for my units to reach there because the, the ocean was so big. And it almost feels like, okay, that's a design decision, having them so big and taking so long to traverse because you... You have to make those expeditions feel important uh, and risky and dangerous. But at the same time, if you're just endlessly sailing over these huge empty spaces, maybe we've got to give people something to do in between, you know, the four to six turns or however long it takes for, for people to get across them.
0: So I have a pet peeve uh, that I, seems to be, I guess, fairly uh, fairly unique to me because i don't know that i've run into other people who have it but it is when you get games that have kind of strategy like sections where you have choices that are supposed to have far-reaching consequences and you just click on them and it's like there's an internal flipping of the coin uh that yeah. says 50 percent of the time this is going to be good and 50 percent of the time this is going to be bad and the whole treasure hunting thing pushed that button exactly i thought i after about a third of the campaign i just said forget it i am only building cities it's a waste of a turn not to not to just do that uh but you know other people may uh, may not be quite as opinionated on that
2: subject as i am yeah, I didn't, I didn't use them anywhere near as much because I thought that the penalties for when they went wrong were far too severe for what you were getting into. I thought, ah, oh, this is just a little thing you can click on. It's a little dungeon raid. Maybe I'll get something. Maybe I won't. A lot of the times I, w- I was not only getting nothing, but I was finding some of my more important heroes were actually getting, you know, cursed or I was suffering some sort of fairly important um, penalties towards my aura or my, oh, maybe not aura, I can't remember specifically, but things that were carrying over into battles and I thought, man, I don't want these kind of damages applying to me just for checking some shipwreck. So I'm not even going to bother the, the reward isn't uh, making it worth the risk in terms of clicking on these things.
1: Yeah. Well, and like I I compare it sort of to the dynamic historical events in EU4. And the big difference here is that you're choosing an option based on flavor text and you're not given any indication of like what the trade-off is like you don't get to see that like if i choose this option, you know i'm going to lose some money but i'm going to get a cool item and if i choose this other option, um you know maybe i'll get a small buff for my hero but you know he'll he'll be you know wounded for one turn or something like that. And and the the fact that it's just guess which one is the right answer makes it a lot less strategically interesting than if I was actually being told what the trade-off between these options is, which is why I think that the um, court events for the high elves are basically the same concept, but done better. Yeah, I was about to say,
2: the the court events for the elves literally do that. They will show you the the, the penalty or or whatever you're receiving. All right, I'm going to get X amount of of currency for this, but it's going to cost me this, so I can actually weigh up that and make an informed decision on it.
1: Right, because the High Elves, yeah, they have this influence that's like their unique currency, not just in the Vortex campaign, but this carries over into Mortal Empires, too, where they can use it to recruit, like, really badass generals, and they can actually manipulate relations between factions. Like, you can pick two factions and make them be friends or make them hate each other. And the main way you get it is through these, like, dilemma at court events where you can choose, like, okay, I'm going to have to pay off this messenger and i'm going to lose 2500 gold but i'm going to get 15 influence or i can you know take a stand and my troops will get a leadership bonus because i didn't give into these petty politics but then i'm going to lose influence for that um yeah i really liked i really like that aspect of the high elves because it it adds flavor in the way that the the shipwreck events and the the ruin raids do but in addition to adding flavor it it tells you what the trade-off is so it's actually strategically interesting it's not just a guess the right answer game every time
0: the other thing that influence does is it lets you get better heroes and uh lords when you recruit them so if you want the
2: elves starting starting lords are actually quite they actually have negative traits when you go to recruit them and so yeah. it's only through accruing influence that you're able to recruit the ones that are actually starting with the more beneficial traits. Like the first ones will be cowards or cravens, mm-hmm. or I can't remember what they're called specifically, but they'll have negative or a negative leadership. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's a far more interesting way of, of handling that sort of stuff. And
0: if you're willing to drop 60 influence, you can get a lord who like makes half your army have 15% better speed. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, there's a lot going on there. So the influence can be used even beyond the, the more subtle relationship manipulation. Uh, so what do you all think of the four factions? I thought that uh, given all the, the uh, expansions for the first Total Warhammer, where I think there are seven or eight different factions at this point, maybe even nine with Norska.
1: Uh, um, in terms of races, there are actually 12 now
0: in terms of different playable factions, in in
1: terms of like different races like if you count up all the legendary lords it's like 35 or something but just like races they're they're up to 12 i think including norska
0: that that seems even higher than i thought but yeah they 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 started with four although they also had chaos as a pre-order bonus so there were five at launch um, but they got up to such a wild, wildly diverse map that uh, it seemed like just having four in the initial Total Warhammer 2 launch was going to be disappointing. But these factions are uh, pretty diverse and interesting.
1: Yeah, um, the I mean, I think that in, in terms of campaign mechanics, the men kind of got short shrift. Like, uh, their geomantic web thing is like, eh... It's kind of interesting in how it incentivizes expansion because, you you know, controlling adjacent provinces makes your provincial edicts better. So, like, you'll have better public order if you control all the provinces around your capital province. Um, but uh, despite being one of the best factions that in are most fun to play in battles, I think they kind of got shortchanged a little bit in terms of campaign mechanics. I'd put them more in that... Um, kind of like empire category where campaign wise they're not that especially interesting um but yeah skaven are really cool with like i talked about they can hide cities they have like that that food mechanic where if you build up a stockpile of food you can basically settle a new um ruin and immediately have like a level three city so you can have you know this like very much lore appropriate Skaven infestation just popping up in your enemy's backyard um, and be p- building fairly high- level troops out of that fairly quickly, which I think is cool. and then the fact that their corruption mechanic actually hurts them. If, if it gets too high, unlike Vampire and Chaos Corruption, which only hurt your enemies, Skaven Corruption is actually bad for you if you let it get out of control. So they're kind of incentivized to, like, use up a region and then move along because it's going to become too much of a pain to manage past a certain point, which I thought was pretty interesting. Um, yeah, they, and then...
0: the food mechanic where they basically eat X amount of food per turn, but uh, when they win battles, they get a bunch more. Um, plus that corruption mechanic means that the Skaven, even though they're not actually hordes, like uh, Chaos and the Beastmen in the first Warhammer, they have a kind of horde-like feeling of you can't stay in a place too long or else you'll burn yourself down. Which right. Is, which is lore appropriate. These are the, the fast moving swarms of destruction.
1: Yeah, as as I said in my review when when the rat poop gets about yay high, you know it's time to move on. <laughs>
0: uh did either of you play the dark
1: elves at all they're the faction i've spent the least time with so i was interested to hear your your take on them because i know you played them a lot more than i did
0: yeah I, i played as malekith uh who's the lead dark elf dude way far in the north uh northeast part of the map and they they don't actually have like a really strong campaign mechanic like the others or if they do i'm totally blanking on it at the moment which is not a good sign for it i well, think can't can you can't you kind of
1: micromanage your economy a little bit with like the ability to like deploy slaves to different right provinces? right that's what it yeah. is you can yeah. sort of
0: adjust where the slaves go but it's uh-huh. uh it's i could see how you could micromanage that but i never got to a point where that seemed like it was a super viable thing to do
1: gotcha The other thing about them that kind of threw me off balance is that the way black arcs work, like they get those giant ships that basically function as a mobile city and and move around and can build and replenish units, but then they don't have access. I actually haven't tested this in the vortex, but definitely in mortal empires, they don't normally have access to global recruitment. Like you have to have a black arc nearby in order to recruit units outside of a province where you've, built the appropriate buildings for that is that true in the vortex as well
0: i'm pretty sure but i almost never use global recruitment anyway so okay (laughs) i think we've covered a lot of the uh strategic layer except uh the map here as you guys mentioned has a bunch of water um Mm -hmm. and i i'm pretty sure that rob if he were here uh this is the part where he would talk about how much he doesn't like the total warhammer navy mechanics uh, I think he's a lot more down on Total Warhammer 2 than most of the rest of us. <laughs> uh, well,
1: there there aren't really... I mean, it's, it's auto-resolve, and it, it doesn't really take anything into account. Like, I can see why he would not like the naval mechanics, because there really aren't any.
0: Right. <laughs> uh, there's, a, there's a lot of water on this map, and there isn't uh-huh. a good, strong naval battle option. It's uh, If you get into a naval battle, good luck. Maybe you'll win. Yeah. It's probably whoever has the most numbers, I think. Yeah. Uh, but what I noticed when I was playing as the Dark Elves, and the Dark Elves have a pretty strong naval competition with the High Elves, they're, they're facing each other across a strait, and they, ha- they both have a lot of incentive to cross that strait and take each other on directly. What I noticed is that it was usually pretty easy for me to avoid naval combat that I didn't want. Yeah um and the ai also seemed to play that way they they didn't really want to fight unless they knew they were probably going to win on the ocean they would try to land their troops and get into a a regular fight and i'm not sure if that's you know the ai being super smart or the designers realizing that naval combat isn't actually fun when you don't get to play it so uh get these troops on land as quickly as possible but either way i found despite the map in the total warhammer 2 vortex campaign uh I believe I've mentioned this before, I am not usually a fan of playing on islands or whatever, uh, but despite the heavily water-oriented map, I didn't really have an issue that I might have with a lot of other Total War campaigns with a map like this.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of, I'm kind of divided on it, because in, in, on one hand... I didn't really enjoy the naval combat in the last few total war games. Like oh, Rome nice. Rome 2 and Attila both had pretty terrible naval combat. Um so like I like to some degree I'm I'm grateful to just not have to deal with that. Um but on the other hand it it is a little weird that they didn't include the option just because I mean I've heard it it has something to do with licensing and like yeah you know uh games workshop you know they have a separate game line that's just warhammer naval battles and someone else owns the rights to that so they can't do it is is one one suggestion i've heard but um or
2: they've yeah.
0: realized that it's been bad in previous total war games and
2: don't want right Put yeah, in hey, something that's just a hey, waste we, of time yeah hey we made this really sort of in-depth naval combat system for Emperor Napoleon where where naval combat was really essential and uh-huh. important and a big part of it and then oh shit we've got naval combat stuck in the game now now that we're going into all these different eras where it's not really a big deal uh-huh. oh no oh no how do, what do we do how do we hide this without taking it out of the game completely well, and like there, some of the areas they've covered, like naval combat was
1: significant in like Roman era, but the way that they implemented it, it just never really worked right. And you had like troops that would like 1950s Superman leap from one trireme to another, and it just looked really weird and, and kind of janky and. Yeah, like, like I never thought I would miss it, and now that it's gone, it's like, uh, eh, I do miss it a little bit, but would I be any happier if they brought it back? Probably not.
0: So instead, you have these black arcs that are sailing around, and when you get in a battle near them, they can just start bombing the battlefield, which is uh pretty fun. Yeah, yeah, the new,
1: like, uh, the new kind of... Based on how you use your strategic assets, it's gonna give you a tactical asset on the battle map stuff is pretty cool. Like Skaven have that with uh menace from below where they can like summon a a whole unit of tier one infantry anywhere on the battle map, like including behind the walls and sieges, which is pretty cool. Um and yeah, I think the high elves get like the ability to summon an eagle or something. Um Lizardmen. I don't. I don't actually know if they have an equivalent for lizardmen.
0: Uh, one of the one of the things that this game does that's different from the first Total Warhammer, and most Total Wars is that it sort of has an ebb and flow to it, where. Uh, First, we talked about the chaos invasions that, that occur when you trigger these rituals. Um, you also get buffs to your economy when these happen. So you can build significantly larger armies to try to fight off the chaos invasions. Uh, and then when, the, when your ritual is done, you might have way, way, way too many armies left. Uh, but that, you know that creates an interesting economic incentive where suddenly you're rich and defensive versus poor and aggressive uh the other aspect of this that's on the strategic layer is the uh rituals each of these factions can conduct four different rituals that uh when they're not in place your empire can seem fairly weak in certain areas um like some of them are economic some of them are buffs to new recruits uh but if you pay X amount of money, or in the Dark Elves' case, slaves, uh, you get these like twenty turn buffs that have like a ten turn relaxation, uh, which creates again another ebb and flow to what you're able to do, how aggressive you can be. Well, and
1: and some of them are essential to recruit. Like the Dark Elves, the only way they can get a, a new Black Arc is with one of these rites, and uh, for Lizard Men. Their default caster hero, which is like the skink priest or whatever, is not that good. But then they have a right that allows them to unlock the slan mage priest, which is one of the best caster heroes in the entire, like across all factions. Um, So they, they use it for gating certain aspects of your faction too, which I thought was pretty interesting. I am actually we'll definitely get into this when we talk about mortal empires, but I really would like them to add these to all of the other factions. Cause I think they are at, um, what I kind of see as like a core aspect of those factions at this point, to the point that the Warhammer one factions kind of feel lacking a little bit without them.
0: I don't think I would go that far, but I do think they do. They, they can make some interesting choices, uh, but uh, to go back to the ebb and flow idea, I think it's it's sort of, I don't know if it's necessarily motivated because they've been playing Paradox games, but this is a sort <laughs> of trend that I have seen in strategy games is uh, having these points where you're supposed to be kind of turtling versus points where you can be hyper-aggressive. And uh, something like uh, Europa Universalist now does this, fairly subtly within its own mechanics within uh within like what your ruler stats are that kind of thing and this feels like it's total war kind of taking a step to uh engage in that idea a bit well let's talk tactics all right i think that uh each of these four factions has really interesting tactical battle feelings um just in terms of the aesthetics uh a lot of them have more monstrous units and the monstrous units are more interesting than the first total warhammers which usually just ha- kind of had like here's an ogre and here's a giant um mm-hmm. the high elves have like three different types of dragons the dark elves have dragons the high elves have eagles the lizards have all kinds of crazy dinosaurs uh I'm playing this game and i get to a point where the crucial battle is my dark elf hydra going up against uh lizard man triceratops with archers on top or whatever like the, mm-hmm. this shit is crazy
1: yeah yeah it's it's great um i i mean the i I had a lot of fun with the lizard men because they're kind of their main tactical mechanic is rampage which is I'd say about half of their units when they get into melee and they start to take damage and they start to see their morale go down, they have, they have a chance to go into like this rampage state where you can't control them anymore, but they'll, you know, they'll fight in some cases to the death. Like if the unit is a high enough level, they'll just stay in rampage. And there were a lot of cases where, you know, I, it seemed like I had the deck stacked against me as like the Skaven or something. But then the fact that I had, basically a rampaging t-rex in the middle of their ranks like eventually it inflicted enough casualties on them to spin the battle around completely the other way so the 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 lizard men like their whole tactical mindset is figuring out when and where to commit the units that you know are going to rampage because they will more than play their or pull their weight but you need to f- make sure that they're in the right place to do what you need them to do when they go into you know this this mindless frenzy and just start ripping stuff apart because you're not you don't have a lot of leeway to adjust your battle plan like past the halfway point, which I thought was a kind of an interesting way to make me think differently about how I approached those kinds of encounters.
0: So since you kind of mentioned it, this is. Something that's been I don't know about bugging me about the Total Warhammer games, but it's uh uh-huh. uh a thing that I have noticed that probably should bug me, but doesn't. But basically it's this. I don't really feel like I have that much control over the battles in the Total Warhammer games. And maybe this is just because they still inexplicably do not have any more than two formations that you can set your troops to. Um, I mean, Jesus, just have a triple line, please.
2: Uh- yeah. I think unit speed might have something to do with that as well. Um, the Combined with AI, I found playing a campaign as the high elves that any plan, any tactics or plans that I had going into a battle went out the window because a lot of the opponents would engage and then I'd, I'd route them or they'd break and they'd be so fast that they would just run all the way across the map and and for just endlessly and so my my battles would i felt like they were breaking down very early into these like uncontrollable swirl like chaotic swirls where it was just my elves chasing some some broken bad guys across the map who would then eventually rally and then fight and then retreat again and i just lost any semblance of being able to sort of hold a line or or feel like i was in control of a single large battle they just started to feel like a lot of battles i fought ended up being very these sort of very scrappy um battles that devolved into something more along the lines where i was just clicking rapidly around a map instead of feeling more like i was in control of of something larger and more satisfying yeah so-
0: I actually figure I actually feel like this one slightly improved on that compared to the first total
2: warhammer oh yeah the the it's 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 not a, a problem unique to this. I had the same problem last time around, but yeah it's still definitely an issue
0: yeah um uh, the one of the main things is that the the dark elves are pretty good at keeping their formation and they they have a good cavalry for chasing down units um But also, the Skaven seem to be designed specifically for those kinds of battles. Uh, The Skaven will break, most of their units will break and run at the drop of a hat, but the units are so huge that as soon as they come back, they're still actual viable fighters. So battling against the Skaven is just a monumental pain in the ass, which again is lore appropriate, although also still a pain in the ass, because they're just constantly running, and then you know they send troops popping up out of the ground to attack you um there's just a lot going on where those battles seem like you're never going to actually kill enough ratmen men to to finish yeah. it off
1: well and th- this is actually this has been an issue i think since attila because they changed they changed the pacing significantly with like how much damage units take and how quickly they route because if you go back and, like, if you play, like, Rome 2 or, you know, even any of the Shogun campaigns, like, the battles lasted longer because infantry had a little bit more staying power, and I think they deliberately tuned that down so that, you know, every battle wouldn't take 45 minutes, but I, f- I, I really would like if they would make that maybe a, a campaign difficulty setting, like, you could you could say i want longer battles i want more tactical battles and it would you know tune those numbers back to kind of how they were in the shogun era cuz i do miss that maneuvering that you could do based on the fact that your infantry aren't going to rout within 10 minutes
0: um there are mods like that at least for the first one and presumably people are putting them out for the second one now uh but yeah i i feel like rome 2 was kind of the turning point from shogun Shogun had really nice, crisp lines. Shogun Uh had, you know, you you get these battles that have engagements where the formations kind of determine the form of the engagements. And Uh then there are like specific turning points where if you launch your reserves or your cavalry at the right point, you could just route the enemy like there's a cascading route. And I thought Rome 2 just totally lost that. And Attila tried to do a little bit better to bring it back. Um, And... The Warhammer games kind of have the idea of these lines hitting one another, but especially in the early game, far too often the rallying comes back a little too much, and they are uh, there's too much too much focus on missile units who can basically just stand there and reroute all the enemies who keep coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think Total Warhammer too subtly does a better job of this uh and this might be because i mostly played as the dark elves who have just absolutely superb missile units and go up against uh
1: high high elves are the same way too like high elves have an amazing if you build your army right they have an amazing missile line so
0: but uh anyway i i felt like the the sort of missile dominance got turned into a kind of missile tactics a little better in this one but even still it rarely felt like what i was choosing to do in the battle was the key element of it although there were times when i had crashes uh before like some of the major plot battles um which are not quite as major in this one as they were in the uh first total warhammer they're they're a lot more optional here it feels like uh, you don't have these giant quest chains with five battles. They're like two battles and your hero gets uh, some neat armor. Um, but anyway, I I did have the, some of those where I had a ragtag army that did not win sometimes. Or it crashed after I won and I had to do it again and I didn't win. So, you know, there there is more agency there than I might be feeling. But it doesn't feel like Shogun 2 or the older Total War games where... Like, I felt like I'm the commander doing the right thing, making sure that I can win based on my tactics and not merely my strategy.
1: And I wonder how much of that has to do with just the huge diversity of units. Like, especially in Shogun, there, there, wasn't, there wasn't really a, a killer way to win the battle based on what units you had, because everybody kind of had access to the same units. And you were always going to have kind of the same mix by the end game, kind of varying a little bit depending on what faction you play and what they were good at. Whereas in, in Total War, especially now that we're up to, you know, what, 12 races or whatever, it definitely does feel like a lot of your success in a battle goes into anticipating who you're fighting and bringing the right units as opposed to you know, I'm up against uh, a Lizardmen army and I didn't bring the right army to fight Lizardmen, but, you know, maybe if I play this well tactically, I can make up for that. It's like, no, you you know, you didn't bring enough Spearmen, you're dead, is what ends up happening a lot of the time.
0: Luke, do you have any uh, more thoughts on?
2: Yeah, it's 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 that chaotic mix of, the, the different abilities of the units that maybe the game is, oh, I don't want to say overreaching, but definitely from my perspective, playing through a whole campaign as the high elves, um, I definitely ran into that problem where I would build an army to take on dark elves in the, the initial game, because that's your initial sort of opponents as you try to, to gain a foothold. And then I had an experienced army that I'd built using you know, fighting those dark elves. And then I take them over the ocean to fight the lizard men and it doesn't work. And so I'm sure that's fine. Like there's a reason for that on one level, but I kind of feel like the, I'm someone who prefers the, the simpler mix of units from Shogun and, and even Empire and Napoleon where, okay, here's some melee guys, here's some cavalry, here's some range unit and that's it. I find Total Wars, um, sort of more chaotic mix of units, how some units can be both and some units can be neither and have some other strange power that's only related to one or two factions but not other ones. Um, I find that a bit much to keep track of over the course of an entire campaign. I find it takes a bit too much reorganizing of my armies or just having to, to plan for that sort of stuff isn't something that I'm very much into in these kind of games. I just want to build an army suited to my approach to a battle and be able to sort of level it up and have it stay together and use that all the way through the game instead of having to to adjust it like you seem to have to here
0: um i sort of had a i i perceived that particular progression slightly differently in that uh my initial army the your legendary lords go up in levels
2: pretty damn quickly yeah Um, they do there's it's almost too quickly it it feels like you're having to uh, by the end of of a game or even the midpoint of a game when you've got a number of lords and they're just leveling up every battle and and every engagement and you're having to go into that screen and sit there and and choose the leveling up i would have really appreciated a button that just said automatically level up all lords (laughs) who had points this turn because it just gets a bit much
0: that's That's
1: basically what i was doing eventually like i just had a list of traits they're so, like i'm always going to pick these traits in this order <laughs> so uh yeah.
0: but uh the the legendary lords initially specifically are kind of your dominant army and your dominant force uh so you could get really attached to these like early progression units like my malekith had uh his super duper dark shards which are the core generic uh dark elf uh archer unit but these things managed to level up to the the gold chevrons and would just tear through enemies for like the first half of the game but then eventually i got to a point where oh shit like i'm going up against dragons these generic archers are probably not quite going to cut it and eventually they didn't and i had to rebuild a new army but um because of the way that progression goes, you can get attached to units that are lower on the progression, uh, scale. Um,
2: which hope- might be faction specific, but I was, I was the same because I was playing as the high elves, which obviously yeah. it's, it's, quanti- it's quality over quantity. And so I would get really attached to these, these small bands of really powerful units. But then two thirds of the way through the game, you know, suddenly the, the silver helms that I had used for a long time that, that were leveled up. It's like, oh, I really should be putting dragon princes because I'm going to need that mm-hmm. for the end game. And it's like, why can't I just upgrade them? Because now I'm, I've got these cool. super leveled up guys, and I'm not going to use them anymore. And now I'm going to have to build new units, but they're attached to a hero who's on the other side of the map because I'm having to build them there. And, and here's here's a here's a suggestion I heard that I think is actually brilliant to
1: solve exactly that problem. Um, it, I think it was around the time the Bretonia DLC came out, and everyone is like, you know, eventually every Bretonian army just it's a it's just a full rack of of Grail Knights because why wouldn't you right? But in the Warhammer tabletop game, they have like this distinction between normal units and elite units, and you can only bring a certain amount of elites. And I would actually fully like 100% support if Total War Warhammer were to do that. Like you can only have, you know, two units of Dragon Princes per army, and then you have to bring some lower tier cavalry. Because eventually, when you have enough cities, you're going to have enough money that yeah, Why wouldn't I just have a full army of dragon princes like it it gets kind of ridiculous? And I think it it makes it less interesting in terms of an army composition, strategic level choice when you can always build up to the best units like chaos can always get a full army of chosen eventually. And like you'll never use regular chaos warriors again, which I think. It makes makes the battles in the late game less interesting than they could be if it was like, all right, I have a limited number of these really elite units per army and I have to really think about where to use them.
0: So interestingly, when I was playing Total Warhammer 1, uh, I basically like I, I knew sort of about that idea and found more success in building armies in that fashion than just trying to build the most elite armies. And this was largely because in that game, No matter what, frontline troops are getting chewed up. They're just going to take huge amounts of casualties. So why not have an initial frontline of your generic troops that's about a third of your army, and then follow that up with the elites to mop it up? And that way you might have more of an opportunity to win a battle and then progress strategically. Because a lot of the times in Total Warhammer... One, you would just keep winning these pyrrhic victories unless you were able to like send two armies or win an absolutely stunning victory of the sort that's really rare because like i said I don't really feel like these games offer too much control um and that i think is less less of the case in total warhammer 2 but it does have the the thing where uh troops and your lords level up so quickly you can get attached to kind of lower level but elite variations um one thing i will say uh, since we've we've talked about this uh outside of the podcast tj um when the high elves and the dark elves fight each other dark elf versus dark elf as well and high elf versus high elf it feels like a regular total war game um so i think i think uh The idea that maybe the diversity of units causes a little bit too much chaos here could be, uh, feels pretty valid. Because these are like the Empire. They're fairly solid factions. Um, Both of them have, you know, strong core infantry, kind of weird elite infantry, archers of various abilities to stand and fight, and uh, various levels of cavalry. Mm-hmm. which, you know, factions like the dwarves and the vampires, the dwarves don't have any cavalry, the vampires don't have any archers uh, Right. the, the lizardmen are very light on archers uh, the skaven don't have much elite infantry, although they can kind of get it much later, but their most of their infantry just has no staying power um, but when you have these elf-on-elf battles it feels like the the start of uh, the Lord of the Rings with the, the last battle of the uh, yeah of the second age when you have these elite elves just tearing through all these hordes. And it's, it's awesome. Like,
2: yeah, I chose chose the high elves. Um, they suit my playstyle, which, which worked out for the best in the long run. But the main reason I chose them initially was just aesthetics. I was like, man, this is what I want. (laughs) Yeah, If if I'm going to spend 40 hours with these guys, I want these Tolkien ass dudes with huge helmets and, and ornate armor and seeing your elite, um, High Elves army by the end game. Um, I don't know if we want to talk about this more in a minute, but fighting through the the final battle of the Vortex campaign um, on that map and is is like you said, it is the closest thing to some sort of big screen Lord of the Rings um, thing that that either War, Warhammer games come close to. It's just so cool to see.
0: And I mean, yeah.
2: both both of them were trying. Like I
0: I played the dwarfs uh, in my first campaign in Total Warhammer One, and you go through these. Uh, these tunnels that seem to be specifically designed to look like moria and that was pretty Uh awesome and you know this has the sort of elf combat that um you know because warhammer doesn't have like the animated visual representation outside of games i think it makes sense that lord of the rings is a model but uh or i don't even know if it's specifically a model or they, they they're just tapping into the idea of of beloved elf combat but Either way, the, it's it's pretty awesome to get those particular factions just really going, and especially when they're going against one another. Um, oh yeah.
1: The, well, the the fact that they have kind of opposing tactical mechanics too, where the the high elves get the martial prowess, which is when their their health is above fifty percent, they get huge combat buffs. Whereas like the dark elves, it's all about when we've killed X number of people, that's when our buff kicks in. So. I,
0: it's actually when x number of people have died so oh, right right so yeah. them dying also kicks the buff in and they, they like go there's a, a little burst of energy above them and they become a lot harder to kill i think they give them big morale buff too um,
1: yeah but, which is really interesting in siege battles because you can send your archers forward to skirmish with their archers and a bunch of their archers will die and a bunch of your archers will die and then you'll get a you'll get murderous prowess, and then you just go up the walls and kill everything, which is pretty effective, from what I've found.
0: Uh, you guys did remind me about two pretty major differences in the campaign. Uh, the first one is they fucking fixed heroes. Agents yeah. are not awful anymore. Yeah. For the
1: first time, like since they introduced agents into Total War, which they're is not annoying pain they, in the they, ass. Yeah.
0: they were there from <laughs> Shogun One.
1: That's right. Yeah, at least in Shogun One, they had cool cutscenes, so they were fun yeah. to use.
2: Uh, do you agree with this, Luke? They, I do. I, I think they got the gear and the loot right in the first game. Um, and I think they got the, the agents right in this game to the point where I, I got more attached to my heroes in this game than I had to my generals in any other Total War game um, by by quite a margin. Um, I, yeah, think I, the, I think the way you, you can handle all that stuff on top of the unlockable things like mounts um, and, and the weapons and, and the attacks and, and all that stuff thrown together and the abilities um, just... Yeah, it actually makes it a really core part of the game is as much as we were talking about getting attached to units, it's probably the individual hero units that you're getting most attached to um, over the course of a, of a whole campaign, watching them go from your, your sort of standard on foot, non flaming sword um, leader to some guy flying in on, on a Pegasus with, with lightning cracking out of his hands and a, and a sword on fire or something like it's, it's so cool.
0: Uh, my favorite was uh, one of my Knight assassins from the, uh, the Dark Elves who sh- she would just like sprint around the battle and she was like specialized to destroy other individual units. So I just send her after the uh, enemy monsters and heroes and she's just like a little whirlwind of death. It was so great. Uh,
1: well, they, yeah, they've also they took out the ability to the agents can't ass- assassinate lords anymore which I actually really like. They can only assassinate each other. So you can, you know, you can't like take out someone's level 28 general with like a level six assassin, which i helped a lot with the kind of agent spam you used to get in the past where it's like, they're going to have three agents follow your army around and eventually they're going to kill your general. Like eventually it's going to happen unless you bring your own swarm of defensive agents to counter their agents. Um, and it was like spending half of your turn assassinating other agents, which was super annoying.
0: And, and this was what Total Warhammer 1 was like. Like this was, right. this is not at the distant past of uh, Total War. This is what it's been like for the last several incarnations of this series. Um, there are two, there are a few key things, but two that I think are are worth highlighting here is uh, at level 20, your lords and agents can get immortality. So even if they die in battle, they will pop back up as if they had been wounded. So when you get mm-hmm. attached to one, he or she will be back. Um, oh, that's another another key thing, is that there are actually women in this game. Uh, yeah. Eventually, uh, Total Warhammer 1 added a few heroes um, with women's voices and, like just hearing the different uh different kinds of voices instead of having only the men doing the super grim dark warhammer voice all the time is just mildly refreshing like even beyond whatever you know demands for representation like it it got really really boring hearing only men's voices for so well, long because they talk a lot without-
1: yeah especially without the dlc like but because the the initial four races in in warhammer one are very very bro heavy um like the wood elves kind of helped a little bit um and then like when they added isabella for the vampire counts that that added some nice variety as well
0: right the the vampires did have a a couple female hero units yeah uh, like the banshee uh uh, but yeah the, both elf factions have a bunch of different women's voices especially their heroes um, the dark elf faction this is a thing that may only appeal to me but it definitely did but if you uh played the first mass effect and your favorite character was the asari mercenary who would scream i will destroy you yeah <laughs> i'm pretty sure they got that exact voice actress to play one of the dark elf heroes and scream about destroying people all the time it's so great i i missed this um (laughs) so yeah side that's sort of a side note The, the the main way that they fixed the uh heroes i think is that the um kind of local buffs that they could provide like increasing yep. public order or whatever uh those used to be things that you had to like stick your hero down and make them do right basically whereas, say
1: i'm not gonna ever use this hero he's just gonna hang out here yeah
0: right so but he's still on the map you know waving his little staff being annoying um whereas <laughs> here the heroes that's an entirely passive thing so if your hero spreads public order you they can be in an army just spreading that public order by being there um there's no reason why they should have to be boring doing that somewhere else they can be entertaining in the army they can split out and try to do the assassinations or the this sort of active uh agent things well,
1: and the other big thing with that is you can, like, if you have them in your capital, you can stick them in the garrison army in your capital settlement, and they can continue to provide that buff while also serving as a hero unit if you get attacked. I didn't which is know that. A huge, yeah, which is a pretty huge change.
2: That's, they also that's help cool. with at-a-glance identification, which I don't know if that was... Yes played a part in as well, but having, uh, playing as the elves, you know, every, I'm not sure if every faction has, has a, a, a man and a woman selection as the units, but the elves obviously do. And so it really helps with that at a glance. Okay. I can see just by the, the picture as I'm clicking through which army this is without having to burrow down and, and remember which one it is or where it is, because I can just easily identify, okay, that's his army. That's her army. That's her army. That's his army. Just by the, the variety of the unit design now for each of the heroes.
0: Yeah, yeah, um,
1: they, that gets to be a pain with the lizard men because all of their <laughs> lords are shit, some kind sure. of weird lizard guy with a name like Zarthok or Lochmudan or something like that, and yeah, it's it it gets to be a pain to Does remember it great- which.
2: Which a, lizard dude's army is this? There's a great design rule with the the elves, where uh, the men wear silly hats and the women don't, <laughs> <laughs> and, that, that's, and that carries through to every class. Is that every? It doesn't matter if they're they're regular lords or or the mages or whatever. Is that the men are wearing these huge, ridiculous, ornate helmets, and the women are just kind of hanging out with their hair out, and so that just makes that visual identification even easier to to pick out.
0: They also did a good interface thing where, when you select a hero unit on the map, there's a little pop-up on the left that says which skills that hero type has and how good you've made them. How which ones mm-hmm. of those you've leveled up. That wasn't there in the past. You, did, you, like, I took me so long to figure out which of my agent types were assassin agent types in Total Warhammer One. Like you have to remember that specifically for each different faction. So you're playing the Empire. Does your wizard assassinate people? Does your witch hunter assassinate people? <laughs> I don't remember. I'm playing the Empire for the first time in you know, a while. All my dwarves look like little dudes with beards. Which ones are supposed to be the assassins? Um, but here, as soon as you click on one, it says exactly what skills they currently have at that point, um, which is a very basic quality of life thing but it definitely improves the quality of life
1: there there are a huge number of those little quality of life interface tweaks it's actually one of the main things i praised about warhammer 2 in my review um you know everything from just being able to zoom directly from the you know the campaign map out to the bigger strategic map like it's they've put a lot of time into making the interface less annoying and uh, i definitely approve. like that's one of the main things that would make it hard for me to go back to Warhammer 1 is just all of the interface work that they've done.
0: There's one last thing that I think is a pretty major difference, uh, and this one I think is unambiguously good. And that is the tactical maps are no longer basically blank screens with occasional hills. Yeah, <laughs> the the jungles of the southern half of the map are just absolutely gorgeous, with all these ruins around and occasional dense trees. The sort of generic high elf areas are uh, the
2: high elf maps are incredible, with the, the yeah, huge castles in the background and the, yeah, uh, the snowy got mountains all these and yeah. flowing castles and so on. There are
0: uh, a fair amount of maps that are um, uh, have actual choke points um to create you know the the sort of they're not quite as horrifically violent as the bridge battles that shogun would have but uh you can get semi bridge battles just kind of randomly instead of only having very specific points
2: um there's a yeah, lot of them where it just looks so good. Yeah, it takes a bit of exploration to figure out where the background starts and where the in-game begins. There's a lot of the the elven cities where I was like, is that huge citadel part of the... Is this some kind of semi-siege battle or is this... And then you pan uh-huh. the mouse out. It's like, oh, no, wait, it's just in the background. But, man, that looks so good for just being in the background. It looks like something that's actually going to be uh, part of this. So, Which it's something that I loved in the first game, having that stuff... The sort of more, and this character to the campaign map of both games as well is having that far more um, detailed and each region of a map can be far more individualized and customized towards a faction as the more historical total games have had to be. But it feels like they just kicked that up another notch in this game. Even having the little rainbows over the, the Elven cities. Oh yeah. Um, is, is the nicest little touch. <laughs> I don't think I'd be well, saying that in a game like this, but like it is just so nice to look at. And it is it is a little bit of a trade-off. Like I wouldn't call it
1: completely unambiguously good because they, they're doing hand-tailored battle maps now as opposed to like procedural or generating it based on what terrain you're standing on. So I did run into some cases where I, I saw the same map a little too often like especially in in Lustria where like 90% of your battles are taking place in the jungle there were like two or three jungle maps that I was like okay I saw this I saw this exact map two turns ago in a completely different location um but I prefer that overall for sure where the the map is hand tailored to actually have interesting terrain on it rather than like oh the map's always going to be unique but most of them are just hills and trees um, I do like it better the way they're doing it now for sure
0: so what do you all feel about uh total warhammer 2
2: i think it's how very do y'all good... feel about this <laughs> it's a very good <laughs> it, it's a very good video game <laughs>
1: <laughs> quality quality you know yeah i really like it i really think that the vortex other than the replayability factor where i don't i've i've played through it it's two races and i don't think i will again I do think it's possibly overall the best campaign that they've designed um, as as kind of a camp- contained experience. I'm starting to trip over myself now because I do think Total War campaigns tend to be better on a design level when they're trying to be like a contained single player experience. I talked about this a lot with Rome too, where I really liked Imperator Augustus and I really liked Caesar in Gaul even though the grand campaign in Rome too, was pretty underwhelming. Um, and I, you know, follow the samurai is another great example of it's, it's a campaign that's set to tell a specific story. And because of that, it, it ends up, you know, just being overall better designed and overall presents you with a better narrative than the sandboxy total war campaigns do.
0: Um, so I, I feel like there's, it's not necessarily... This one's not uh, unambiguous. Um, one of the things that I really liked about the Total War 1 campaign was the way that when Chaos invaded, everything got smaller because Chaos would just destroy so yeah. much. Um, so no matter like how deep in the game you got, even no matter how much progression you got done, uh, you still did not have to deal with too much stuff. Whereas I would have turns, individual turns in Total Warhammer 2 that would take me like three hours with moving every army, fighting every battle. Uh, this is especially when they do the little, the ritual chaos invasions, which are different, very different from the uh, sort of constant Archeon invasion of Total Warhammer 1. These are discrete uh, spawns of... Uh, a whole bunch of chaos armies and those turns would take forever because I had like 11 different provinces instead of the two or three. And I, I like, I like the small elite province idea a little bit better. So I'm not, I was not as totally sold on this, but I know that I'm probably in a minority here. So.
2: I'm starting to get increasingly worried about uh, going back to historical total war games. Um, I'm fine that while it was Fall of the Samurai that really sort of kicked off the, the direction that Total War's gone in since. Um you see stuff like the the battleship or the the ironclad bombardments from Fall of the Samurai, um, making their way into the Total War games with the the magic summoning and, and the, how it was a far more sort of scripted, small scale hands-on campaign. I'm finding a lot of the stuff in Total War 2 that I'm enjoying the most is stuff that I'm having a hard time picturing them being able to work back into a historical Total War game, um, which is sort of giving me this, this, this very slow burning sense of dread that one of my favorite video game series might be sort of weirdly driving itself into a dead end where they've made this sort of temporary we thought at the time diversion into fantasy and, and all the stuff that they've been able to do when sort of freed from the the, the restrictions of history in terms of the, the heroes here and and campaigns that involve magic vortexes and, and that sort of stuff, um, that when the series does inevitably have to go back to more sort of mundane settings that we may look back on and go, ah, oh, man, I really wish that my – civil war general could have um a, a pegasus with a flaming sword or something and, and and magic rituals that we can cast to win this instead of just winning a war well i feel like this
0: whenever i play ultimate general civil war anyway like what, what the hell is that <laughs> general doing he's just standing there where is his pegasus come on ap hill um
1: yeah no i i mean i said the same thing when total war one came out is like or when warhammer one came out i would i it's like i feel like fantasy is a better fit for this formula than history ever was, even though I still love a lot of the older historical Total War games. It just works better freed from that. Just the, the things they focus on uh, versus, you know, the things they kind of let slide. I feel like a, a model, like the Paradox model is always going to do history better. Uh, whereas with Total War, you give them fantasy to play with, and suddenly it's, it's like a whole new world
0: uh although let's be real like rome 2 and i'm not huge on attila uh was definitely the best version of rome 2 that could exist but it was not still not one that i enjoyed but anyway rome 2 kind of indicated that they were running into that dead end regardless of whether they were going fantasy uh, that, right that was that was a disaster for one of my one of my very favorite game series and i think luke is
2: on board with me there I'm, I'm very much on board with anyone who wants to say bad things about rome 2 <laughs> <laughs> uh, seven out of ten fraser
0: Sorry. but
1: hey like, like i said i will say the smaller campaigns the smaller self-contained story campaigns they put out for that were actually pretty good i mean i Great could campaign not so much
0: i i could see them being you know tolerable but the i i just could not enjoy myself with the tactical engine it just turned into a rugby scrum every time uh a total warhammer 2 can occasionally do that but uh not to the level that um Rome 2 just always did uh but anyway so i would say that i was somewhat surprised by how viable total warhammer 2 on its own was because as soon as they announced the kind of structure of the entire series uh which was they're going to release three games and those games will each be individual playable individually playable but they will fit together in a super grand campaign um as soon as this was announced i was like okay that's what i want like i'll 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 deal with the other stuff on the way but give me that giant map with every single faction i want i want the ogre lords and the uh tomb kings and all these different things that i see on the wiki i'm not a warhammer expert but uh like there are 16 potential factions that they could have or whatever and yeah i I want all of those right now and i'll wait because obviously there are good reasons to kind of get everything going uh but they finally put it together in the Mortal Empires map, and it's uh, maybe not quite as exciting as we had hoped.
2: Be careful what you wish for, Total War fans. Yes. Well, to be maybe, fair... Maybe those hands-on scripted campaigns are there for a reason. <laughs> to be fair,
0: uh, though, I wanted to see the map go east and not west, uh, because, as I've mentioned, I'm not a huge fan of uh, naval transport and combat in these kinds of games and uh i think that there is a the, the ocean makes a very clear division on these maps that uh i i've been playing for a while in the mortal empires and i have not like actually had the firm integration of total war one or total warhammer one with total warhammer two i'm still a high elf on my map fighting chaos and uh dark elves primarily uh or up high off on my island. I like think I said map. Um, but anyway, I would, I preferred it to go east because what I wanted was Skaven and Ogres and Chaos Dwarfs or whatever swarming over the mountains and making the kind of corners of the uh, Total Warhammer 1 map suddenly the center of the map and a lot more interesting. And that's partially there. I think you've been playing on the the section of the map that has that area tj yeah well i uh
1: krokgar the the secondary lord for the the lizard men he starts in what is the new boring corner (laughs) the new like bottom right what the badlands used to be um but yeah once you actually get up to the badlands which again was like it was dull dull town uh you know population whoever ends up winning the dwarf versus greenskin war um now it's it's like this really interesting crossroads that's only going to get more interesting when they do go east where you've got you know lizard men moving up from the south and you know there's there's skaven in that area you've got you know empire can be pushing down from from the north and there's vampires you know tomb king placeholder faction number six down there that, you know, that's only going to get better when they actually add the factions that are supposed to be there um, to add more variety. So yeah, the Badlands is like a, this really interesting kind of uh Thunderdome uh, at this point where you can have dwarves and orcs and lizard men and Skaven and vampires and humans, all kind of pursuing objectives in different
0: directions, which is, which is very cool. Um and- that's definitely an improvement because I think the my favorite factions tactically in Total Warhammer 1 were the dwarves and the orcs, but uh, they just didn't add stuff to that part of the map like they did to the no. uh, center empire section that got the wood elves and the Bretonians and the special dwarf and orc factions uh, kicking around there, but the generic orcs and Uh, dwarves just were there by themselves still yeah Uh,
1: no it was it was like uh, it was kind of like playing ireland in in ck2 it was like tutorial island and then once you consolidated your power down there then you could go do interesting stuff on other parts of the map
0: but now there are uh there are two legendary lords in the far southwest part or southeast part of the map um, there's Queek from the Skaven, who I tried to play mm-hmm. and failed miserably at. And uh, I may try the lizard man next time, or I may play the the Greenskins again uh, if the yeah if the others start showing up there a lot more.
1: Queek's start is hard. He's actually the first start position to be rated as very hard in in Total War Warhammer across both games so far. Yeah, you, you kind of there. He has sort of a counterintuitive way he has to expand if you don't want to die really quickly
0: yeah are you say that the undead that he like can very easily ally with are the ones that he should attack
1: yeah like because if, if you go yeah if you go east too fast you can end up screwed um but yeah if you, if you like opportunistically go after those vampires you Can kind of build up your power for when the lizard men do inevi- inevitably declare war on you, you actually have kind of a chance of holding them off. And then, I also, you also really want to go for that like far southern dwarf city as fast as possible because that's like a really good settlement, and there's only two places to attack it from, and they're both bottlenecks, so
0: yeah. Um, so that there are. Very interesting things about the Mortal Empires map uh, compared to just the Total Warhammer 2 plus 1 map. The main thing is the sort of southern section of the Old World. I don't know what the official Warhammer kind of term for it is. Um, but on the Total Warhammer 2 map, the Vortex map, it's uh, there's just kind of a four-quadrant uh, division where in the top right there's the high elf island, in the bottom right there's this kind of extension of the old world uh, in the bottom left there's the lizard man with some high elves and in the top left there is and which is actually bridged to the bottom left there's the dark elf section um, so this these continents are fairly divided and it still works regardless which is like I said, that was a surprise to me. Um, but then when you get into Mortal Empires, that bottom right section is totally different. And it's where the Old World map and the New World map kind of connect to one another. Um, but it's also kind of blank right now, because that is that is where the Tomb Kings are supposed to be, right? Yeah,
1: well, some of the Tomb Kings are in that area, and some of them are in that um the, the the part of the map, the part of the eastern part of the map that's not there yet, the very southern part of that is also a, a Tomb King area. So that kind of like V-shaped on the other side of the World's Edge Mountains, that's also going to be Tomb Kings, presumably.
0: Yeah, um, and we're, we're, fairly, we're fairly agreed here that the Tomb Kings are almost certain to be the next faction that's going to be revealed.
1: Yeah, I mean, there was that that Russian data leak that had all of the DLCs in order, and it's been completely correct so far. And based on that, Tomb Kings are the next step. So oh,
0: I, I didn't even know about that. <laughs> yeah. Do you, Do you remember what's after that?
1: Um, I think ogres were the next one. Interesting. After, yeah. So I, 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 they very well might start expanding the map east before Game Three comes out.
0: I, I've heard some weird rumors that Game Three might be like. A chaos game, and not actually the yeah, but
1: yeah, no, that's that's what I'm pretty sure it's going to be. It's going to introduce chaos as four different chaos demons as the four different like there will be a corn faction and an Urgle faction and a slanesh faction with some kind of take over the realm of chaos standalone campaign, and then they'll be introduced onto the mortal empire's map in some way as, as like a separate horde or something i don't i don't exactly know but i think what we we can see right now is pretty much as far as the combined campaign is going to go i can't imagine that they'll expand it beyond that kind of grayed out eastern area that we already can see but doesn't have anything in it right now
0: Uh, i would i would definitely like to start seeing things coming out of there Uh, but yeah um, speaking of chaos uh, this is the core problem with the mortal empires campaign you and i have been playing it since about a week before it came out and uh, we Mm -hmm. noticed some interesting things about chaos
1: yeah um so they yeah they spawn in four different sub factions now there's like archaeon's faction that still starts up where they always did in the chaos wastes and kind of come down with with all the guys you know but then there's like servants of chaos and vessels of chaos and concierges of chaos or whatever and they that like they spawn as separate hordes that all have like five stack armies each and they go off and and target different parts of the map but what what um some some people i've i've been reading who have actually gone into the game files have noticed is that they basically directly ported the AI for those chaos subfactions from the uh, the NPC armies that spawn in the Vortex campaign to come and stop your rituals from happening. So basically, whoever gets up to the the threshold, I think it's like 24 settlements to trigger the first wave of chaos. Um, these these like vessel of chaos factions will only target you. Like when I, w- I was playing as the High Elves, they went right past Bretonia. They they don't declare war on Bretonia or anything. Like the Bretonians are just like, "Hey, how's it going?" as they come through with their giant engines of destruction and they make a beeline for you, which made sense and actually I didn't mind in the Vortex campaign because it's like, "Well, yeah, I'm I'm about to complete this ritual that's going to make me master of the world." Clearly they would want to target me, but the idea that that in this sandbox this grand warhammer sandbox that they would specifically come after you to the exclusion of all these other people they could be despoiling and destroying really kind of breaks the immersion of of the whole chaos invasion
0: and um in the total warhammer 2 campaign they attack every faction so if the ai faction is spawning a or performing a ritual they'll get the chaos factions spawning on top of them to try to deal with them uh there's also a lot of those spawns are skaven so you're not just fighting the chaos warriors over and over Uh which i gotta say i'm pretty sure the chaos warriors are the least interesting faction to fight against Definitely, after you've you've fought off like five stacks yes. and then there's five more
1: coming, it gets really old. Yeah,
0: maybe it's just that you spend so much time fighting them that all their weaknesses become apparent. But God, I love fighting the vampires. Like, uh, I yeah. don't like playing as them. I like having archers, but going against something that doesn't have archers is just a blast. Uh, just these shambling hordes of zombies. But the the chaos faction yeah. is it's just really annoying. They have so many mobile. Uh, missile units so you have to chase all those down um and they always have those fucking cannons yeah um yeah i i get real tired of them in a hurry way that i don't with the others a lot of time like like uh my giant climax of the uh vortex campaign had almost entirely skaven attacking it was a nine stack skaven attack on my dark elf capital that created this giant fucking siege uh with like 9000 skaven against my 3000 dark elves in a battle that was at 5 frames per second the entire time because there were just so many things going on and i didn't mind because it was this was this was just that big of a battle
1: Uh, yeah the uh i've noticed that the battle engine does not seem to have been optimized for the ridiculous numbers of models that skaven can bring to a battle um (laughs) even
0: even (laughs) non-skaven factions uh if you have nothing but the like generic 120 or 200 person units if you have full stack battles, it can start to struggle in a way that it doesn't when it has the monsters, even when the monsters are making everything explode. Uh, yeah. So th- that seems to be where it strains. But anyway, uh, yeah, they, these giant chaos stacks and mortal empires will come at you. They're only the chaos warriors. They'll ignore everyone else. They don't create, like, an interesting strategic... Uh, issue where they've kind of nuked the middle of the map and everyone's sort of trying to move in while also defending themselves which happened in total warhammer one uh instead it's just like oh you're in the lead too bad uh yeah deal with these guys for the next 20 hours and then maybe if you survive you'll be in decent shape again and possibly you'll have to deal with them again with the second big spot
1: like and the the super disappointing thing is like if if even if you fight them off it's like everyone else. Like it doesn't even seem like anything happened to the rest of the world. Like, you you killed all the chaos people, but because they were only attacking you, this great wave of doom has has really done nothing. Like <laughs> the rest of the world is just like, oh, you were fighting chaos for fifty
0: turns. Yeah, that's cool. I, we were just over here still doing our thing. Like I, we're fine. I guess it's I guess it's a good way to stop the player from steamrolling, but it's... I, I don't know, there's probably better ways to do that, but I look over at the Empire. I'm playing as the high elves. Uh, yeah, and I look over at the empire. The Empire is starting to take over Norska, like they're just dominating, yeah. and you know they're supposed to, in the lore, take the brunt of the chaos invasion. It's supposed to head right down the middle yeah. of their their area, but no, they're actually taking out chaos on the other side of uh, of the other side of fake Scandinavia. Um,
1: well and, and there were there were these interesting situations that could pop up in warhammer one where like my big long wood elf campaign i did in warhammer one you know i had to make a decision at some point like at i i didn't get along with the empire at all like we we fought for a big part of the campaign and we weren't friends and i was like when when rk showed or Archaon, i don't know where, where i got that i call him arky uh, dark arky dark yeah um when Archaon showed up I had to decide, like, how much of my hated enemy am I going to let him eat? Or uh, do, should I go, should I summon, you know, the the Eternal Guard to war and go help protect the humans and, and keep their lands intact? Even if that means I'm expending resources to allow them to stay, stay strong for when this is all over. And they've completely taken that out with the way chaos works now, because it's, it's really just it's you against chaos like that's what it's going to come down to there's no interesting decision to be made of you know if you're playing as the vampires or you're playing as the dwarves like when do i intervene do i intervene at all am i going to let them kill all of my enemies and then you know have like a showdown with them later down the line when we're the only two powers left in the world um you know i it's 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 very it's very kind of Borked right now like to the point that i've i've stopped two different mortal empires campaigns around the 150 turn mark and don't think i'm going to go back to it until it's been patched which is unfortunate cuz i was having a lot of fun with it up to that point um and i think it has a lot of potential but it's it feels kind of like a beta right now like they didn't really think through a lot of the decisions in the strategic setup, like some of it even seems more like an oversight, like these armies aren't meant to be coded the way they are, but they just copy pasted the the strategic AI from the Vortex campaign because it was faster. And, you know, we'll fix it later. Um, so it's it's it sucks, but I, I do kind of recommend that people wait before firing up this campaign because I don't feel like it's in ideal shape right now.
0: Uh, there is a mod you said that uh will turn off the chaos invasions that might, yeah might be I mean, you
1: can turn it off you can turn it off and just blob but even that's not as interesting as the old world campaign in warhammer one was because there's no there's no real pacing to it there's no real milestones it's just like i'm gonna go ahead and take over the world like it's it's old school total war which if that's what you're looking for go ahead um but I think I think there should be a chaos invasion. It just should not work the way it does right now.
0: Yeah, um, I I suspect that the reason that the code coding is so weird is that they had to try to figure out how to make the chaos invasions work across the entire old and new world. And yeah. uh, like chaos comes from the far northeast, right in Total Warhammer One. And it also spawns like a few stacks across, uh, across the coastlines to really get in there and fuck things up throughout uh, the non-northeast part of the map. But the main brunt of it is the, nor- the Archeon invasion that comes from the northeast and eventually should head down through the passes and into the Badlands. And that worked fairly well in Total Warhammer 1, but how is that going to touch the Lizardmen? how is that going to touch Malikith? Uh So they needed something that would go after them. And what they chose was probably not the best way to do that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't mind if they had like maybe one, one that comes from like North of Malekith's area and, you know, one from, you know, the traditional start location that, you know, kind of have like a two pronged attack or, even like even giving them ships and having them just go off to wherever is fine as long as they're fighting everyone yeah like as long as it's a global event and they're not just targeting specific you know factions that met a specific milestone yeah like
0: you could have them spawn out of the vortex like they don't all have to attack the high elves but you know just start steaming out of the vortex and head all over the place from there um right there were really interesting strategic decisions that occurred. I'm not sure if this was something that was specifically scripted in Total Warhammer 1, or if it just kind of happened from everyone being at war with the same faction at the same time, but everyone was friends when Chaos invaded. Like, I had, I played a Clan yeah. Angrund game where I basically allied with the Empire... Uh, the dwarves who had beat the d- greenskins, and uh, the wood elves, and whoever was left from Bretonnia, and we pushed chaos back, uh, because we were all pals, because we were fighting the same thing. But as mm-hmm. soon as uh that invasion ends that alliance starts to fray to the point where eventually i had what turned into basically dwarf world war one between my clan angren and the dwarves who were you know survived the invasion the best and eventually that relationship frayed to the point where it couldn't stand anymore Uh, and that was a really interesting game i'd never finished it because it was dwarf world war (laughs) one but uh that's a story you know at, well and that's laura the lore appropriate too is that everybody in the warhammer
1: world hates each other unless there's someone someone around that they mutually hate more yeah <laughs> like that's how it should work yeah <laughs> so. uh,
0: but if chaos is not declaring war on everyone you don't get that situation you don't get that kind of uh um emergent narrative arc uh, and that's why i liked warhammer 1 so much and the idea of mortal empires as warhammer 1 with the warhammer 2 factions and map attached uh was very appealing and right now it's i think it's still fun um i'm still fighting off the chaos invasion and uh my old dark elf rivals have declared war on me so it's, it's kind of a mess but i like it being a mess but it's definitely not what i was hoping for
1: yeah, it, it's, not, it's not a Warhammer sandbox. It doesn't, it, like, it doesn't have that feel to it, and that's really where I'd like to see it get back to.
0: But I'm sure we will come back to Warhammer 2 at some point in the next several months when uh, they get some patches out and they get some more expansions. And uh, we will have a, a much more exciting time of uh, discussing the giant map.
1: I'm I'm excited for Tomb Kings. Tomb Kings are one of the coolest factions I think and they're they're going to really really make the the map a lot more interesting I think once once it's not just random made up vampire clans occupying most of the desert.
0: Yeah, I think also some mods as for Mortal Empires especially that will have the different legendary lords have different starting points, um uh, particularly the original Warhammer 1 lords where you have they there were different selections for each faction, but they were still only in that faction. Um, like the dwarves had uh two different lords, and one of them could sp- start and uh further north with the slayers. He was like the slayer lord, like blanking on his name at the moment. But yeah, yeah. Ungrim, yeah. They yeah.
1: And, and actually Creative Assembly have talked about moving Ungrim and Azog, who's the orc yep. lord that's supposed to be up north they've talked about moving them like in the context of like this is something we want to do but we can't promise it yet so i, I i'm hopeful that they will eventually do that it's just you have to get uh wayward advisor guy to record some new <laughs> lines about their start position and and do you know some camera work there but
0: um, i've seen mods that do that uh so yeah, like uh, you you can get that in a not quite the full creative assembly aesthetic design yeah. fashion but you can get it but that also will make sense if they open up the eastern section of the map um because there are specifically orcs who come out of the east that uh, could be shifted around yeah. so that would be a very cool thing to see
1: well we've got scaven blight on the map now so we know there's going to be more scaven lords and they're going to be starting in new places and that's that'll be cool as well
0: um have they said if they are planning on adding uh more stuff to the total warhammer one map
1: i i think they're going to be done like okay. I, th- I think at this point my suspicion is at this point mortal empires is the grand campaign and that is what they're going to be building on
0: that uh, that's really interesting that from a, just from a business perspective that that might be a, a yeah. move that they would do but these games are selling well uh yeah the uh, the first one hit a million pretty quickly. I haven't heard anything about this one, but I, I saw it was top at the top of the Steam charts. So,
1: what I'm what I'm more curious about is whether Tomb Kings are going to get a start in the Vortex campaign, or if they're just going to be for Mortal Empires. That's yeah. that's what I'm kind of waiting to see. I, I,
0: I think there are clear spots that they can exist on the the Vortex map. So I I would right. I, I would definitely expect them. There. The ogres, well, God only knows, but the, the tomb kings. Um, yeah. yeah they, there is a clear spot where they can fit. But anyway, uh, I think we've mostly exhausted this. Luke, do you have any final thoughts?
2: No, we have exhausted Total Warhammer 2. All right. Total, Total War Warhammer. I've, that's the first time I've ever had to say that loud, and I got it wrong. Total War Warhammer 2. <laughs> the total warhammer
1: is is totally
2: appropriate on this podcast yes uh
0: we are we are not directly uh uh doing the any specific pr pieces or official reviews here <laughs> total warhammer it is
2: oh good because when i i wrote that as a as a, a joke in the comments of my warhammer 2 review and there was a guy underneath that literally Saying that there are legal issues involved with calling the game that name, I was like, "Man, you must be fun at parties." There's legal
1: issues. (laughs) There's legal issues for creative assembly. There's no legal issues for us. We can do what we want. Yeah,
2: (laughs) I'm just going to call it Elftown and just and get on with my life.
1: (laughs) Elftown frolics. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, then I think that about sums it up. Uh, And uh, thank you to Luke and TJ for hanging out with us, me together, all of us, warhammer, elves, skaven, <laughs> the whole crew. No, thank you. They Everyone's happy we had a wonderful podcast where we did not hate this like we hated Rome 2. So, <laughs> Good work, everyone. Good work, Creative Assembly. And uh, good work to you all for listening to the end of the podcast. We will be back with more strategy and war games on three moves ahead in the next week, sooner, later, something like that. I don't know. Have a good night.